Can I also share, um, over the last few weeks, just before Easter and after Easter, um, I've been having this dream on a regular, regular basis, and I can't get the image out of my head and out of my mind um, of me being there at the foot of the cross at, at Calvary. It's kind of weird. This has never, ever happened to me before. And you would have thought that all these years, having <laughs> been a Christian, and at least have had one dream of, of that sort. Um, but it's been constant, almost for, for about a fortnight. And it's still ongoing. Um, and it's just the, just the vivid imagery there. And it's just the, the awful smells as well. You know, the, the real hardcore, it wasn't a pretty sight <laughs> um, at Calvary. And there was blood everywhere. There was dried blood. There was fresh blood. There was, you know, oozing of all sorts of stuff going on. A horrible, awful image. Um, and I'm there just, just at, the f- at the feet of Jesus. And he's just saying, just give your life away. Just give everything away. And this morning when Mark um, spoke as well and challenged us as a church to be generous, and to be generous with our talents and our, and our gifts and, and um, everything that God has given us, basically. And we just have a generous heart without any strings attached. It's very interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting um, for those of you who are here this morning. Um, so it's a testimony, but in a sense, it's still a dream going on, and I'm still kind of trying to figure out exactly what God wants, wants me to be. Um, completely generous about, if that makes sense. Um, Can you turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. And this is a parable, it's a well-known parable, most of us know it, um, about the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. I was reading a story recently, uh, nearly five years ago. It's a real-life story of Pastor Willie Lyle, only in America. Um, these names come up. Um, and soon after being appointed in, in, as a new pastor in a, in a Methodist church in Tennessee, um, Lyle had a dream in which he believed that God instructed him to live as a homeless man, just for about a few, a few days, no, no more than a week on the streets in, in that particular town. And so he did. And the following Sunday, he lay on the church grounds of this new church that he was going to become a pastor for. And he was looking unkempt, horribly smelling, um, unshaven and all that. And what he experienced 
was very shocking. Hardly anyone from the congregation stopped and offered any assistance, offered any food or anything at all. This was a posh church in a very wealthy area in Tennessee. Everyone ignored this homeless pastor. He finally revealed his identity and changed into a jacket and tie and shaved and delivered his inaugural sermon to to over 200 people from from this spot right outside um, the church. He transformed from this homeless person to a new pastor. And his first sermon to them was about serving the least of these. Luke chapter 15 starts with all the tax gatherers and the sinners, the dirty people, were coming near to Jesus and to listen intently to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes, the clean and the righteous people, they were grumbling. This man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus addresses the Pharisees and defends himself by telling three parables, which we all know, I'm sure, reasonably well. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. I'm only going to cover the lost sheep this evening. But but these parables all make the same point. Slightly different emphases, but they all make the same point. That God shows crazy, crazy love to find the lost. Amen? It's reckless love. There's this worship song I was listening to um, over the last few months about reckless love and how we left the 99 behind and ran after the one that was lost. It's silly even. Of course, we know that Jesus isn't crazy. (laughs) He isn't silly. He isn't stupid at all. He knows exactly what he is doing. But he goes through immense effort, no matter what the cost, to seek lost sinners, and he greatly rejoices when they come to repentance. First, just three reasonably quick points I just wanted to extrapolate from all of this. First of all, you're lost until God finds you. The Bible says that those who do not know Jesus Christ are lost. Not that they're unsaved or they're unbelievers or whatever. The Bible is very, very blunt and very clear. They're lost. And that word is so empty, isn't it? So so hopeless. Even if you just reference things or animals, a coin, some money, it's lost. It's It's a feeling of emptiness. But it's even a more bleak word when it's referred to people. If you are lost, it is such a sad, sad, dark place. I remember why I once lost my eldest son, Matthew, in, um, in Debenhams, in Chelmsford, <laughs> just over 10 years ago. He was about three or four at the time. And, you know, you know running around and playing hide-and-seek and all that stuff. And I, was, I think, I think, um, I was trying to get a gift for Christine. And... Um, and I just couldn't find him after a while. And I said, yeah, I've got this under control. Come on, Matthew, come on, come on. Where, where are you hiding? Come on. And after five minutes, I started to panic. <laughs> and my heart started racing. And I just, suddenly my voice went up a few decibels. 
and I began to panic, and I called out the search party from amongst the staff. And what felt like 10 hours, I know it was probably just five or 10 minutes, but we finally eventually found him, or I eventually found him, hidden in, in amongst some, some clothing. Um, and the first thing that came to my mind to do was just hug him. You know, just to hug him, I fell to my knees, and I cried, and I just hugged him. And I didn't tell him off or anything like that. And, I didn't, and a crowd was, was, was hovering around. And in a sense, I didn't really care about the crowd, what they thought about this grown man crying <laughs> and hugging his son. And I also remembered in the back of my mind that, that my, my parking ticket was about to expire. <laughs> and in a sense, I didn't really care about that either. I could be charged £10,000 fine. I didn't really care. The fact of the matter was, I found my lost son. Maybe it was just the fact that I was worried that Christine would probably kill the daylight so to me <laughs> if at all she found out. But isn't that so amazing? Isn't that so amazing? When Christ finds us, he did everything Everything within his power to find us. Ephesians 2 verse 12, Paul describes the former condition of his Gentile readers. You are at the same time separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. A lost sheep in the Judean wilderness was doomed, was doomed to be killed, there was no protection whatsoever. There were predators that would attack and kill it. Every time, almost every time, the sheep were scattered across Judea. There was a mass killing. A lost dog might eventually probably find its way home, but not a lost sheep. So it is a picture of a lost sinner with his sheep. And even if they are aware of their condition. There is nothing at all that they can do about it. And Jesus said that no one can come to him unless the Father draws him near. And so unbelievers are lost and they're helpless prey for the enemy unless God intervenes. But praise God, he has intervened and Jesus shows us, shows us all of that by giving up his life. But it was God who actually, it was Jesus, it was a shepherd who actually went to look for the sheep. It wasn't the sheep coming to find back the fold or the pasture or the other sheep. It was the shepherd who went, who initiated the search. So that's the first point, that we're lost until God finds us. The second point is that God makes a huge, a huge sacrifice in order to find the lost. Verse 4, the shepherd leaves his 99 other sheep and goes after the lost one, searching until he finds it. Isn't this love kind of crazy? He leaves the 99 in open country, not safe and secure behind some kind of barrier or anything like that. He risks it all to find that one lost sheep. If he had 100 pounds and he had, it, he had invested it on the stock market, and the day after, you know, you lost a pound, 
and you heard all over the news that there was a global financial crisis and all your money was going to be lost if you continued to invest in the stock market, you'd probably, very, very likely, cash in that £99 that you had remaining and probably put it under your mattress or something until things started settling down again. You wouldn't keep on investing just for the hope of regaining that extra pound that you had lost. Jesus was willing to lose it all. He sacrificed everything. He sacrificed everything. He took the initiative and he bore the ultimate cost as well. And this is where it gets even crazier. Whatever time it took to search for his lost sheep, he didn't really care, that shepherd, that good shepherd. He exposed himself to the dangers of the wilderness, the same dangers that would have probably killed that sheep. He exposed himself to those same conditions. Bad weather, possibly, predators, perhaps even without sleep, because, of course, if the sheep was gone away for too long, um, there'd be a greater risk that he wouldn't find the sheep. So it was similarly, 10 years ago when I lost Matthew. It drove me crazy, and I would have paid anything. Four years ago, the Malaysian Airlines flight, MH370, we all know that story, mysteriously disappeared en route from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. They still haven't found it. So many people have been lost. And there's a massive cost to the Australian government and the Chinese and the Malaysian governments. Over 120 million pounds have been spent. The governments and the families of these passengers and the flight crew will not stop until they find the missing plane. Jesus took whatever it took, whatever it cost to find the missing sheep. And ultimately, the cost of our own salvation was much greater. He didn't spare his own son, did he? But delivered him up for us all. I think about it, and my, my, my dream in being, being at the foot of the cross. But it started off in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was hungry and he was frustrated with his disciples and he was dehydrated, he was lacking sleep. And in such, he was in such anguish. There was this medical condition called hematohydrosis where you sweat blood. That's what Jesus did. And that was a common medical condition for prisoners who were facing imminent execution. You know, the blood vessels of those capillaries, by the time they reach the surface of the skin of those, um, of those um, sweat glands, they start to rupture when you're in such intense, intense stress. And the blood just oozes out into the, into the sweat glands and you start sweating blood. He was under immense, immense strain. And of course... He was crucified, beaten, spat at, within an inch of his life until he was finally, finally executed. Complete humiliation for us. But he had to do it. He chose to do it. He set aside his glory, his comfort in heaven, and he came to earth, not as a mighty king, to judge us, 
and to judge sinners, but as a lowly servant to give his life completely out as ransom for our own salvation. And of course, when he finds a sheep, ultimately, he keeps us safe. John 10, verse 28, Jesus said concerning his sheep, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. We are secure in our salvation because God, Jesus, has his grip on us, keeping us safe, keeping us safe and secure. When Jesus found that lost sheep, he didn't just use a whip and whip him back into the back to the fold. He comforted him, lifted him up on his shoulders, held his feet, and kept him secure and safe, and took him back to the pasture. And it's a challenge for us as Christians as well, isn't it? If God seeks lost sinners, shouldn't we as well, who are Christians? The answer is an obvious yes, right? We should be doing that. If our Lord came to heaven, came from heaven to earth to seek and to save the lost, we should also be praying often, Lord, use me as an instrument, as your instrument, seeking the lost, finding good opportunities for me to share my own story and the good news of the gospel. So first we've seen that sinners are lost until God finds them, until God finds them. Second, that he goes through great sacrifice to seek and save them. And finally, one of my favorite bits is that God and his angels throw a party. There's massive rejoicing in heaven when, when the lost is found. But of course, when you look at how the Pharisees were behaving, there's a stark contrast, isn't there, in the text between the grumbling of the Pharisees and the scribes and the great joy in heaven and on earth when the lost are found. Look in verse 5. There's the word rejoicing. Verse 6, rejoice. Verse 7, there's joy. And into the other parables, when the woman finds the lost coin, there's joy and there's rejoicing. There's no mistake that God loves a party. He loves to rejoice when he finds the lost. The father with the prodigal son did the same thing as well. He tells his older son, we had to be merry and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Like a family with two or more children, if one of them gets very ill, perhaps even nearer to death, and then recovers, there's massive rejoicing. There's a massive, huge celebration over the recovery of that one child, over the health of the others. And we saw the same thing back in Luke chapter 5, I believe verse 32, when the Pharisees grumbled because Jesus and his disciples ate with the sinners at the Levi's house. And Jesus replied, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, a lot of times, I think I've shared this story before sometimes, where I support Arsenal, uh, forgive me, uh, but I support that football team. And a lot of times when I go to, go to a football match and I watch the game live and, um, and we score a goal, you know, 
Of course, it's probably a rare occasion these days, but and we score a goal and we win the game. And there's massive celebration. People who don't know each other are giving each other high fives and, and hugging each other and, and probably even kissing each other sometimes as well. And, you know, massive, massive celebration. And sometimes when, you know, we go to our favorite band um, who has probably a musical or a concert or something like that, we're really happy, you know, a new car, a new house or whatever it is. And so sometimes when we hear uh, about a new believer coming to salvation and finding Christ, we're like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's good, that's all right, okay. We probably need to put him in a house group now and you know, start moving on to the, next, to the next stage. And, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll probably pray for him and stuff. And Come on, guys. It's a massive, massive celebration, right? Let's celebrate the victory that Christ has had over, over death. When one lost one has been found, let's celebrate. So here's a challenge. If God and his angel armies rejoice when sinners repent, clearly, shouldn't we? The things that make us happy reflect the values, reflect our values and what we consider really important. So as we close and we, and um, Ian leads us in, in communion, let's remember these things. These parables the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Show God's concern and compassion for sinners. Not necessarily for sinners en masse, but for each and every single one of us. And even after we've given our lives to Christ, he still cares about us. And he still showers us with his love, with his crazy, crazy love, his reckless love. And he's willing to sacrifice everything to make sure that we stay within, within the fold, within the pastures, feeding off him, listening to him, sitting at his feet and learning from him. The Bible says that Jesus knows every single one of his sheep by their name. He cares for every one of us. Will you join the tax gatherers and sinners and draw near to Jesus and listen to him? You may be called filthy or dirty or unkempt, whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. But then you'll start experiencing the joy, the joy of singing and worshiping at his feet. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Amen. Amen. Amen.